Amen. Have a seat. I don't know uh, how many of you have been here for the last uh, four weeks, I guess, but we've had an awesome, awesome, got some hands. I've been here, I've been here. Um, but we've had an awesome, awesome time uh, over the last four weeks as several of you have come up here and have spoken. And uh, it has been an incredible opportunity. And uh, so tonight, it's kind of uh, it's the first time I've had like four weeks off from speaking. And so as I was preparing, I was like, you know, what in the world am I going to talk about? And uh, if you've been here on Sunday nights for the last few weeks, uh, we've been hearing from an awesome communicator, Louis Giglio, and he's been sharing about the glory of God and the awesomeness, I'm using that word, of God, and how when we feel like there's no hope, there actually is hope. And as I was listening to, the, to that talk last week, and as I was trying to think about the next step and where we should go, I, I just... I came across what we're going to talk about tonight, and simply the title is The Gospel. Um, But I think in saying that, our ideas and the ideas that come to mind when I say that are dramatically different, and and possibly each one of us in here. And I think that's because we've grown up, many of us, most of us probably in this room, have grown up in a church maybe similar to this. And we've probably grown up in a home with a mom and dad who have brought us to church. And I think the gospel has become just a thing that we do. Or another way of saying it is Christianity has just become a thing that we are a part of. When the very nature of it, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago and as Uh, several folks talked about in the last few weeks, the very nature of the gospel and the very nature of Christianity is completely unreligious. Because what religion says is religion comes into the picture and religion says that you've got to do this and this and this and this. And I think how we have taken that, I mean, we could sit here tonight and we could talk about the different religions of the world, but I don't want to waste time doing that because I don't have a lot of time. And I think how we have taken that and how we have warped that in our Christian bubble is the fact that it looks something like this. If I come to church, if I come to Wednesday night, 633, if I go to go camp, if I'm a part of the small groups, if while I'm at school, I'm a part of the Christian clubs, and I'm nice to people, at least to their face, and I don't cuss, and I follow these rules, then God's going to bless me. I'm going to make the grade that I need on this test. I'm going to get into the college that I want to get into. I'm going to ultimately have the dreams that I've dreamed of in life because I've done this and this and this and this. When the very nature of the gospel is actually the exact opposite of that. Because the very nature of the gospel is messy. I mean, the gospel is downright dirty. I mean, there are people 
in the Bible who, when they followed the gospel, got their heads cut off. That's probably not the dream they aspired to when they were your age. I mean, think about it for a second. John the Baptist, who Christ himself said, there's been no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. That's a pretty bold statement, pretty big statement there. Decides, in a defining moment in his life, Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm going to follow him with everything I've got. And not very long after, his head gets chopped off. That doesn't really sound like the American dream there, does it? So what happens when what we have grown up in and when what we have learned and been taught comes crumbling down? Tonight we're going to look at a, pa- a passage where, where that kind of happens. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of John. John chapter 11, this is going to be a very familiar passage to you. If you don't have a Bible there, there's probably one in front of you somewhere. You can grab that. Um, You've probably heard this before if you've been around church for a while. Um, You've probably heard it lots of times, actually. Uh, But hopefully tonight we're going to look at a few different aspects of this that may bring this out in a new light. And you're going to know exactly where we are as soon as I start reading here. John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Light bulbs, ding, ding, ding. Okay, I know what the story is here. Thanks, Jace. Awesome. Got the ending. Good. If you don't know the story, great. Just hang on because we'll get there in a minute. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Pretty huge story that if you've been around church for a while, you probably know that one too. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. That's pretty key there. We'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, this is what I want us to see here for a second. Because if you've been around church for a while, uh, you know the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and you kind of know how they fit in. You may not know all the intricate details, but you've heard of them enough. And if you haven't been around church for a while, then then we're just going to tell you the whole little story very quickly about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And pretty much the whole story is they were awesome friends of Jesus. I mean, like if they had been... John McCain or Barack Obama, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were like some of his biggest supporters, kind of thing. I mean, like they were anytime, that may have been, I don't know why I said that. That may not have made any sense whatsoever. But when Jesus was coming to town and Jesus was coming near Bethany where they lived, Jesus camped, Jesus stayed at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house. I mean, it was just normal. And he probably didn't have to call. He probably didn't have to send an email. He probably just went, knocked on the door. I'm here. Can I stay? Great. We got your room set up. Come on in. And this is how we know how good of a friend they were. Because when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, they didn't send word saying, Jesus, this is Mary and Martha. Our brother Lazarus, whom you know, is sick. No. 
The simple word is, the one you love is sick. I mean, I mean that's pretty bold. I mean, that, like that's a, I mean that, that says something about the relationship that Jesus and Lazarus had. I mean, Jesus gets word that the one you love is sick. And he immediately knows who it is. Of course, he's God. He's the son of man and the son of God, and he knew everything. And it's just all a warped circle here anyway. But he knew who Lazarus was. And we know the relationship that they had. And so Jesus' immediate response was not, okay, let's go. Instead, his immediate response was, sounds great. Everybody just have a seat. We're not going anywhere. Going to be here for a few days. As a matter of fact, in another translation, what it tells us in this translation, it says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and yet stayed another two days. In another translation, it tells us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so he stayed another two days. Okay, they changed yet and so. What in the world does that mean? What that means is that because he loved them, he stayed. Yeah, I got a lot of bewildered looks because that bewildered me as well. Bewildered is a big word, means confused. Got a lot of confused looks. I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm going, okay, let's think about this for a second, all right? Let's think about this. One of your friends, one of your, I mean, your, not just one of your friends, I mean like your best friend in the world. It gets in a car wreck, and it's in the emergency room. You get a phone call. Billy Bob's in a wreck. <laughs> it's in the emergency room. I mean, what's your response going to be? Okay, here's his first choice. Huh. Okay. Well, I, I love him so much, I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> or, in panic chaos... You lose your phone somehow to which you've been talking on, scramble around and find some set of keys and get your tail over to the emergency room. Which one's more likely to happen? Probably B. Probably the second one. I would think. I would hope you're at least that compassionate. Okay? Maybe you have a little restraint and a little calmness. But I would hope that that's the direction in which you get. Yet Jesus has a completely different mindset on this. He has a completely different outlook on this. And so here's the first question that pops out at me when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to Christianity and when it comes to religion. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were awesome people. I mean, you know, we here in the Bible, we did a whole series on it just a month ago on sinners and how Christ went to sinners and how Christ welcomed sinners. And how Christ loved to be around sinners. Okay? And we did that about a month ago. Well, here's Mary and Martha who were sinners, but are now in the family of God and are following everything that Christ tells them. I mean, they're in church every Sunday. I mean, they're teaching Sunday school. I mean, they're going out and feeding the homeless. I mean, they're doing everything. When Jesus comes to town, he's staying with them. And Lazarus gets sick. And Jesus' response is, everybody have a seat. 
We're not going anywhere. How many times in your life have you been in that same situation where your world was caving in around you? And you found yourself in your room by yourself, in your car by yourself, at a coffee shop with a friend, pouring out your heart. Saying, why in the world is God not coming? I mean, I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. I mean, I gave up a whole summer and went to Columbia. A whole week of my summer and went to Columbia. I mean, I go and I listen to Jason every week on Wednesday night. And I even download the podcast and listen to it again. I hope you don't do that. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. I have, my, I have like three quiet times a day. Where is he? Why did he allow this to happen to me? Why is he putting my family through this? Why will he not show up? And it's in that moment that we have to sit there and look at ourselves. And go, are we religious? Or do we believe in the gospel? Because religion tells us if we do enough good stuff, then good stuff's going to happen. The gospel tells us something completely different. And so Jesus' response here in verse 11 He said, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I think one day we're going to do a series, if you've seen Blue Collar Comedy Tour, here's your sign, on all the dumb things that the disciples ever said, because they just did not, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to wake up. Jesus is like... Come on, guys. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this is key. This is, this is something we've got to stop here because why four days? Why, why, I mean, why not five? Why not three? Why four? Because in the Jewish religion, there's an idea that when someone passes away, their spirit stays around their body for three days. And then on the fourth day, it's gone. I don't quite understand it because I'm not a Jew. I'm not Jewish. I don't... Quite under, but I, th- that's what they believe. That for three days, the spirit kind of hangs out around the body, and on the fourth day, it's gone. And so I, th- I think 
The reason for the four days is Jesus wants to make a point. He is dead. I mean, he's dead. The spirit's gone. He's dead. And so, he's coming into town, verse 18. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to confront them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think if I was staying there, I would have been like, okay, will you repeat that? I don't know that I quite got that. And she, but she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Huge statement there. Huge, huge statement there. Because I think what we have here is two responses. I think we have Martha's response, and I think we have Mary's response. And let's back up just a little bit, just a little ways in time, when Jesus comes into Martha and Mary's house on one occasion, and Jesus comes in, and Mary just sits at his feet. And Mary is there at the feet of Christ, and is just listening to everything that he has to say. And Martha is in the kitchen preparing a meal. Martha's in the kitchen, busy about work, comes into the room, comes into the living room. It's like, Jesus, Jesus, come here. We need to have a talk. Jesus, now. And Jesus comes, and they have a talk, and Martha's like, would you tell my sister to get in here and help me? I mean, we are the host here. We're supposed to be in the kitchen cooking. And she's out here just sitting at your feet, listening to everything you say. And Jesus is like, Martha, you don't get it. I'm not going to be around very long. And while I'm here, you need to take every bit of it in. And I think that was a defining moment for Martha. I think that was an absolute defining moment in her life because right here in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her sorrow, when her life is crashing down, her brother is dead in the tomb. We had not got there yet, but he is, trust me, dead in the tomb. Four days, spirit gone. I mean, Jesus didn't even make it back for the funeral. I mean, really? I mean, your love, the one you love is sick and has now died. And not, not only did you not come and heal him, but you didn't even make it back for the funeral. I mean, he's already in the tomb, Jesus. Where have you been? And Martha's response is to go meet him. And of course, her initial response is, Jesus, I don't get it. If you were here, you could have saved him. And Jesus goes through this explanation and finally looks her square in the eye and says, Martha, do you believe that I'm the Son of God? And Martha takes a deep look inside of herself and says, yeah, I do. But then here's Mary over here. Mary, the one who is sitting at the foot of Christ, who is taking everything in. When she hears that Jesus is coming into town, stays home. 
Why in the world do you think she would have stayed home? I don't have a clue. I wasn't born back then, but I have an idea. I think she stayed home because she was furious at him. And we get there in just a little bit. I'll show you why I think that. But I think she stayed home because she was furious. I don't get it, Jesus. I've done everything. When you were here in the house, I was sitting at your feet. I was taking it all in. I was soaking it all up. I did everything that you said to do. I've been the person that you told me to be. And when I needed you, you did not show up. And so I'm just not even going to bother and come meet you when you come into town. And well, Jesus obviously sees that Mary's not there and Jesus already knew why Mary wasn't there, but he sees she's not there. And verse 28, after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is where I get this thought from. Because you see, Mary already knew Jesus was in town. Mary knew she was coming into, he was coming into town. I mean, everybody did. Martha knew, Mary knew, they all knew Jesus was coming into town. Martha goes out to meet him. I guarantee you, Martha's not going out to meet Jesus without getting Mary to go with her. And for some reason, Mary stays back home. And Martha comes back after she's seen Jesus, after she's testified to Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God. I know you can do anything. She comes back to Mary in the house. And it's like, Mary, the teacher is here. Jesus is here. And he's asking for you. And can you just feel the tension inside of Mary? Mary's at home stewing over this, I mean... I know how we get when we get angry at somebody. And for many of us, it's different. But for most of, it, it, most of us, it kind of looks a little like this. When we're really angry at somebody, we just let that thing sit there. And we just let that thing boil over. And, you know, we, we, there may be a small circle around us. And we may be sitting there, you know, I just can't believe it. I'm just And then there comes this point where somebody just presses that final button. And it's like a volcano erupting. And I don't know if that's exactly what's happening here, but I kind of have a feeling that's what's happening here. Mary's at home just stewing over the fact that Jesus did not come. And now that he's come, it's too late. My brother is in the tomb. He is dead, dead, dead. And, and now he's coming into town. I mean, he didn't even come for the funeral. I don't want anything to do with him. And Martha comes back and Martha's like, he's asking for you. And she's like, what? I don't care if he's asking for me. And runs out of the house so fast that the people in the house are looking at her going, oh my gosh. I mean, she, I mean, she didn't, uh, well, we better go. I mean, she's, she's tore up. She's going to the tomb to mourn. 
And instead, she goes straight to Jesus, falls at his feet, says, if you had been here, he would still be alive. And you just kind of hear that Jesus, it's your fault. Why did you not come? Where were you when I needed you? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Because I think as he saw them, number one, he had compassion. Because these were people that he dearly loved. And he saw their pain and their sorrow and had compassion for them, but then became very troubled. Because they didn't get it. Because as he looked across the crowd, they were, they were too worried about what they had done. And the fact that they thought they deserved something. Where have you laid him, he asked. As if he didn't know. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said... See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I mean, you just kind of still sense that questioning, just that, that anger that's in the crowd. I mean, what is he doing here now? Why did he come now? It's too late. He could have done it then, but he can't do it now. And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. How many times in your life have you sensed the very Spirit of God telling you to move the stone? I, and I don't know what the stone is in your life because I doubt it's a physical stone. But I think many of you kind of know what I'm talking about. How many times in your life have you sensed him say, move the stone? I mean, maybe it's something that you're struggling with because I know every single one of us in this room are struggling with something. And maybe it's a particular struggle that you have in your life and you have just sensed the Spirit telling you, move the stone. Or maybe it's the very act of accepting Christ as your Savior. Maybe you have experienced Him saying, move the stone. But every single time you have come up with some lame excuse. But if I move the stone, do you know how bad it's going to stink? I mean, Jesus, if I move this stone, do you understand I'm going to lose every friend that I've got? If I move this stone, do you understand that I'm going to lose my popularity? If I move this stone, do you understand? It's a whole different ball game. And Jesus is like, yep. I get that. Move the stone. I love how the end of this passage reads, and I love how when, Jesus, when they move the stone, Jesus just looks into the cave. 
and says, Lazarus, come out. And you know what could have happened here is, you know, Jesus could have looked in the, into the cave and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus could have come out in glory. I mean, Lazarus could have come out, I mean, grave clothes off. I mean, just in glorious splendor, Lazarus could have, I mean, Lazarus could have like hovered out of the cave. I mean, like Jesus could have done that. I mean, but he didn't. I love how it actually happened because when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he came out the same way he was in it. He had the grave claws wrapped all around him. He couldn't even see. And so I have no clue how he got out of the cave because he couldn't see. So I got to think Jesus kind of led him out of the cave on purpose with his grave clothes still on him. And when he gets out of the cave, Jesus tells the others around him, all right, take him off. It's time. Because Jesus doesn't care how bad it stinks. Jesus doesn't care how filthy and how wretched you are. And folks, that's the gospel. And that's why it's completely different than religion. Because at the end of the day, when our hearts and our minds are fixed around a religion, I hate the question on forms. You get them all the time. When you take the SAT, there's going to be a form, a question you can choose to answer if it's the same as when I took the SAT. What religion are you? I hate that question. I used to not, but I do now. Because religion is about do this, do that, and receive this. Be a good person, and you'll have paradise one day. Do all these things, and you'll have a whole world to yourself. Do all of this, and you'll live in glorious splendor when you die. The gospel tells us, no, move the stone. Just just move the stone. Just get the stone out of the way. And I'll take care of the rest. And when our world starts crashing in, it gives us a completely different view And I'm not going to try to go there completely tonight, but if you were here last Sunday, Louie did it awesomely, and I have no reason to recreate that. But when your world starts caving in, we have a knowledge, as Martha did at the beginning. I don't know why you didn't save him. I don't know why you could have done it there. You didn't even have to come here. You could have just said the words and he would have been healed. And I don't know why you didn't, but I know that you're God. And I know you're at work. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And I kind of feel like tonight, I just, I don't do this often, but I kind of feel like tonight that I just kind of took a shotgun and and had several different points in that talk. And I don't know where you are, and I don't know if anything hit you or what hit you. Because I know for some of you in this room, 
you may be in a season of your life right now where you feel like your world is caving in and you're just wondering, why in the world are you doing this to me, God? And I know that there are others of you in here and you have sensed the Holy Spirit say, just move the stone. Just move the stone. I'm going to take care of the rest. I will clean you up. I will transform you. I will make you into a new creation. So tonight, I don't know exactly where you are. But if God is speaking to you in any way tonight, then you need to deal with him now. I'm going to be up front. If you need to come up here and just pray, if you want to come talk to me. If tonight, maybe for the first time, you want to move the stone and find life in Christ. I would love to pray with you about that. The band's going to sing Mighty to Save because that's exactly who he is. And it doesn't matter what tomb you're in. It doesn't matter what stone is in front of you. It doesn't matter where you are. He is big enough and mighty enough to save you. Let's stand up.